Hey everyone, this is Jimmy Conrad, your favorite former U.S. Men's National Team player and the host of the Call It What You Want podcast. And I'm here to tell you that Viore is a versatile clothing brand that speaks my language. It's inspired from the coastal California lifestyle, just like me. Its products stand the test of time, just like me. And also just like me, it endeavors to inspire others to live vibrant, healthy lives. Viore gear is designed to look great in everyday life while also being perfect for any workout activity. I'm currently rocking the men's Sunday performance jogger, And don't let the name deceive you. You can wear these babies any day of the week and in any situation. I'm talking going to the office, running errands, the gym, whatever your heart desires, because Viore is an investment in your happiness. For our listeners, they are offering 20% off your first purchase. So get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet at viore.com slash sports. That's V-U-O-R-I dot com slash sports. Not only will you receive 20% off your first purchase, but enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns. Again, go to viore.com sports and discover the versatility of Viore clothing. If I don't screw this up in three years and go back to my 20th high school class reunion as a head coach of my hometown team. So my first goal was not to get fired the first three years. I, I had three daughters at home. I also looked at it like I had 53 boys at work. There's no question. And Mike will be there as long as he wants to be there. And he'll be the first one to know when it's time to walk away. All things covered listeners, all things covered viewers. We have a treat for you guys this episode. I'm so excited. I'm so elated to be on with this outstanding individual. First and foremost, you guys know it's summertime. We're in July. But next month in August is a very, very special month regarding the NFL grades. The NFL Hall of Fame ceremony will happen in early August. And I felt like it was only right to, make, to get someone on the show that will be celebrated. This man not only will be celebrated, but he will go down as a living legend. And I took my hat to this guy, even though I don't have a hat on because he gave me my mm-hmm. opportunity to fulfill and live out a dream, which is to play in the National Football League. And he drafted me to the best organization in the land. This individual, he is a Super Bowl champion. He is a Hall of Famer, my former coach, and remains in the Rook family as a studio analyst for the NFL today on CBS. Bill Cower is joining us here on all things covered. Coach Coward, man, thank you for joining me first and foremost. And how are you feeling? I'm doing great, B-Mac. When you reach out, how can I say no? Oh, man, I, I appreciate it. I appreciate it, man. There's so much we can talk to you about. And, and, you know, and the fans, they're excited about this opportunity to hear you speak, to see you speak. But a lot of you might not know, you know, you just wrote a book and we will tap into your book a little later in this conversation. But you're also in the process of writing a Hall of Fame speech. Take us back to that moment, the awesome moment back in January of 2020, where David Baker prized you on with the news that you would be heading to Canton. Yeah, B-Mac, it was a Saturday night, as you well know. We were in the playoffs, and I knew that the Centennial class vote had taken place on the previous Thursday. Um, I was trying to get some feel for how the voting was going, and I didn't hear anything Thursday. I didn't hear anything Friday. And I remember getting up that morning with my wife and just telling her, you know, I don't think I'm getting things. I think I would have heard something by now. And I said, I'm okay with that. I said, I don't need any validation. I'm, you know, it was a great run. I'm glad my story was out there. 
but I just don't think I'm going to get in because I think I would have heard something. I went into the production meeting for that night for the playoff game that we had. No one asked me about it at all. So now I'm thinking, I know I'm not getting in. They're giving me a respectful space because they don't want to have me talk about my disappointment. And so as we got on the air and we right before that segment, we were doing an eye vision on Lamar Jackson. I was doing it with Phil Sims. Uh, Sean McManus and David Burson came out. And onto the stage, I'm thinking, well, because we decided to do it on the other side, usually we do it on one wall, we decided to do it on a back wall. And I'm thinking to myself, wow, the bosses are out here. Make sure I don't screw up this, this segment here. So <laughs> I'm down here looking at my uh, my notes and everything, and we start this eye vision, and I say to Phil, what about Lamar Jackson? And Phil says to me, what about David Baker? And I turn and saw David Baker, I'm going, wait a minute, this is not how this is supposed to be. Usually you're knocking on a door somewhere. And it just, it was almost surreal. And just before my own eyes, I just like, wow, you just start to reflect. I just started to talk. And I'll forget when I got done talking, I remember I looked over to Nate Burleson. I go, Nate, I don't even know what I just said. Was it okay? He goes, no, coach, you were great. <laughs> I said, yeah. it was a um, pretty special moment. And really one of those moments that, you know, you, you just think about it from the time you go home. We had to do the show the next day. And it was, um, uh, it was pretty surreal. It was a special moment, I know, for me, and I can say the same for the consensus that we're watching you guys live because it was unexpected. It was real. It was just it, it flowed naturally with everything else. And just to see how excited and shocked you were, you know what I mean, yeah. made it yeah. that uh, much better for all of us. And just being able to applaud you in that moment and, and, and celebrate with you was an outstanding experience. And this is a very, very special class. This year's class combined with last year's class has a distinct black and gold feel to it. Man, I know Steelers Nation, they're going to in, they're going to just take over Canton, Ohio yeah. that weekend. Yeah. So you're going in, Coach TP, my former teammate, Troy Palomalu, uh, Steeler great Donnie Shell, another former teammate, Alan Fanica, and the great Bill Nunn will all be headed into the hall uh, in, in a few weeks in August. What does it mean for you to go in with that group of guys? And you will have Art Rooney II as your presenter as well. How did that come about? But first and foremost, what, what does it mean, you know, for, for you, the feeling to go in with a great group of legendary Steeler players? Well, it's, it's so funny because with the 2020 classes you talked about, it's myself, Troy Palomalu and Donnie Shell, two defensive guys. You know, my background's a little bit on that defensive side as well, as you well know. Mm -hmm. That was really special. And I sat there and I remember going, being down there. We went to, to the Super Bowl that year. Uh, it was in Miami and Alan Fanekin was sitting there waiting for the knock. It didn't come, but it was so great that it came the next year. And it was just he's the next guy. And there's so many others be uh, talking about Heinz Ward who'll be who will who will be presenting um Alan Fanica, ironically. So, you know, it's just it's just a special group. And B Mac, you know, we 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 built something very special in Pittsburgh and it was a family. It all starts at the top. It started with Mr. Rooney and the chief before him and now with art. And so really for me, the, the presenter really was about the Rooney family. And and Art Rooney was a very natural decision for me to do that because and, you know, you walk in that building, there was just something kind of unique about the family atmosphere that we had, mm -hmm. the level of expectation that was placed upon you, the, you know, the, the history of what the Pittsburgh Steelers were all about, how they resonate in the community. So it's just, it's going to be a special day. The Cowboys are playing the, the Steelers in the Hall of Fame game. It'll be a, a nice recollection. I mean, Jimmy Johnson's going in as well in the same class we have. So you know, it's, I think what a great way to kick off this 2021 season after this past year with the pandemic and everything that took place to kick us off with an old time tradition with a lot of great uh, names and faces going to the Hall of Fame. It's going to be a special weekend in Canton. 
No doubt about it's, it. It's going to be one of the more highly anticipated Hall of Fame weekends. And I might be a bit biased because there's still a ties, but I think because <laughs> of what happened last year, not being able right. to have the Hall of Fame right. game, now finally being able to get fans into the stadium uh, uh, to be able to have a full uh, seated stadium is going to be huge. So it's going to be an outstanding event. I know the terrible powers, Coach. <laughs> it's, it's, it's going to be bananas. It's going to be bananas. It's going to be an outstanding weekend. As I mentioned earlier in the show, uh, you're an author now, too. Uh, uh, outstanding book, Heart and Steel, is available now. Make sure you guys go out and support Coach Cower. All the Steeler Nation should support Coach Cower. If you don't like him because he beat your team, you should still go support him in his book, Heart and Steel. And while football is covered a lot in your book, you cover a lot outside of football. How hard is it for those in the sport to find the right balance and perspective with football and non-football related things? You know, BMAC, it's funny. I said when I went into the Hall of Fame, it was um, you reflect on your football life. Then all of a sudden, everything kind of came to a screeching halt. So I think during that time frame with the social justice issues that were going on, I think we all sat back and reflected on our own personal lives. So I had to find the right person to collaborate with. And I found Michael Hawley. And Michael Hawley has written sports books in Boston. Michael Hawley was a guy that, uh, um, you know, he went to Point Park College in, in Pittsburgh and went and was a writer for the Cleveland Akron Beacon Journal. So he had a history in the National Football League. But as I told Michael, the important thing to me was the fact that I did not want to write just a football book. I wanted to write a book that was about family, football, and one's life journey of lessons learned. One that could help others maybe along the way that when you reach that fork in the road, you have to make a decision that you put some thought into it. And I try to use enough examples of what I learned through my time as being a head coach, and you were part of that, and our run to the 2005 Super Bowl, but also to the point when I stepped down because it was more of a family decision at the time. And I prioritized family over football. I always have done that. So it talks about me growing up in Crafton. It talks about my transition out of football, then all of a sudden going through a period of time when you lose your father and your wife within a three-month period of time, what grieving is all about and trying to do that with your three daughters. So there's a lot, again, it's more about life than it is just football, but there's no football in there, I think, that uh, they'll keep people uh, entertained. And that's one thing I love about individuals like yourself, uh, being able to have a unique life outside of what you've grown, what we've grown accustomed to seeing you doing. You know, most people see us as only football players, but we do a lot more. We go through a lot of different feelings and being able to express that on paper for us to read. Uh, I, I applaud you for being able to do that and also show a different side. And like I said, I'm still out now. Make sure you guys support uh, my guy, Coach Cower, and his book. So a few months ago during the season, we had Mike Tomlin on the show. And we asked him a similar question about an opportunity he had with the Miami Dolphins before taking over with the Pittsburgh Steelers. You came very, very close to becoming the head coach for the Cincinnati Bengals in uh, 1991. Uh, how, do you think, how do you think things may have been different for you if you signed with Cincinnati and how close were you to actually signing uh, to be the head coach with the Bengals? Well, it actually wasn't the Bengals in 91. It was actually the Cleveland Browns, um, ironically, because Bill Belichick and I came to be, we were the last two to be interviewed. And I had coached in Cleveland years before with Marty Schottenheimer. So Art Modell knew me. So there was a little bit of a familiarity. And I had my two girls, my oldest girls were born in Cleveland. So I had, I had some Cleveland roots. And ironically enough, Bill Belichick and I, as you read, if you read in the book, we, you know, we, we were 
friends. We, we, we collaborated a lot, particularly when he, I was a defensive coordinator in Kansas City. He was defensive coordinator with the Giants. I almost, I had an opportunity to go there. I didn't. I stayed with Marty. And then when he became the head coach of the Browns and I went to the Steelers a year later, we went from friends to adversaries very quickly. <laughs> and um, so you never know. You never know how things turn out, B-Mac. You know, if you, what happens to you if you don't come to the Pittsburgh Steelers? And I just, you know, it's just so many things in life, I think, twists and turns. I think But the biggest thing you, you do, and as I've always tried to do, is I follow my gut feelings. I, 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 I prioritize core values that, to me, really influence my decisions. And I talk a lot about that in this book from the standpoint of, you know, I think you have to follow your gut. You can't be afraid to take chances or take risks, but at the same time, keeping your core values in place and making sure that's in the forefront of all your decisions. It'll take you down a path and who knows where the journey will take you. But if you're doing it, it's something you can embrace along the way and feel good about and don't have any regrets in, in hindsight. Yeah, and then, of course, in 1992, uh, becoming the head coach of the Pittsburgh Steelers, being a Pittsburgh guy, what was it like for you telling your friends and family that you're about to be a head coach for the hometown Steelers? Well, I tell the story uh, a lot of times. I said when I first got the job, I was 34 years old. And I remember going back, Mr. Rooney offered me the job. I said, yes, um, I'll be. Thank you. And I went back to Kansas City. My wife and I did. We're laying in bed that night, getting ready. Okay, now I'm going to pack up probably next week and go. I kept thinking, wow, if I don't get – if I don't screw this up in three years and go back to my 20th high school class reunion as a head coach of my hometown team. So my first goal was not to get fired the first three years. And so it was um, it was just unique, you know, and it was really great. My, my parents were there. They were able to see their kids. You know, we always knew that coaching is not the most stable job that you have around the National Football League. But we were lucky enough to be able to be there for 15 years, lived in the same house. And my parents were able to watch their grandkids grow. And so um, that was very, very special from that perspective. And speaking of your goal of not getting fired in three years, I mean, you exceeded that goal. I mean, your first six seasons, Coach, you made it to the playoffs six straight times. Uh, yeah. Extremely consistent. Did you surprise yourself with the level of success that you had and how quickly it happened? Or were those your expectations? Yeah, you know what, BMAC, I, I, I've everything I did, I went right from playing to coaching. I, I was a mm -hmm. special teams captain in 1984 at the Philadelphia Eagles, my fifth year in. Marty Schottenheimer calls me and says, do you want to get into coaching? I always knew I wanted to get into coaching. Um, I went and decided to go back at 28 years old. I'm coaching defensive backs, Hanford Dixon, Frank Minifield. They're the same age as I am. And so <laughs> I, I never really thought about, you know, to me, it was just about respect. It was just trying, it was about competing. It's like finding ways to win and dealing with what you knew. You know, I played, I understand the pressures that went with players. And I learned a lot of things along the way, how to deal with players. And it's almost like being a teacher. You have to know when to pat a guy in the back and you have to know the guys you may need to prod a little bit. So, you know, just being in the atmosphere that we had, I, I wanted you guys to be comfortable. I wanted you to be confident, almost on the borderline of being cocky. But at the same time, if you felt, if I felt you disrespected the game, disrespected an opponent or even your teammate, my job was to pull you back. But I wanted you guys to have an edge. I wanted you to walk along that line because that's how I play. You know, yeah. and that's why I was so emotional. You, you, you know, you played for me. I get mad. I got mad when I was happy. I was patting you on the back too. So it's just, it was a game of emotion, a great, a game of passion. And I want everybody around me to have that same feel. Oh, and it's funny that you, you mentioned that because I remember when I first got to Pittsburgh, it felt like everybody that was in our uniform, they were a split image of you as the head yeah. coach. Yeah. Edgy guy that was a no-nonsense guy, a guy that was a hard worker, a guy you didn't have to force to work. And when I got there, I'm like, yo, I'm fine. I'm around grown men 
that attacked the game in a grown man way. And it was like, it was the domino effect. And I tell people this all the time. There's no surprise we had so much success because we had quality people in place at the top. And their image, the way they approach the game, the same way the players approach the game as well. Players are a split image of the head coach. You know what I mean? Yeah, if you I mean, got a soft head coach, you might have a soft team. Right. And if there's one thing we were not going to be, it was going to be soft. <laughs> that, no, that was no, that was no. that was not even an option. So I said I'm, no. I'm going to hold people accountable, and you know, and I I get it. I understand everyone's different, but we're going to hold people accountable around here, and we're going to play a certain way. It may not end up being a win, but you know what? We're not going to beat ourselves. They're going to have to beat us. Yeah, I remember doing a special team meeting. Coach Kyle will run a special team meeting for the listeners and viewers watching us and listening to us. The head coach, he's the head coach. He would be in the special team meeting, and I remember running down on the kickoff. He'll put that red dot on you. Are you accelerating <laughs> or decelerating? He don't want to see you slow down. He want to see you run through somebody. Man, you better run through somebody. I was like, okay, I got to get my special team game up the park. I want to be on this team. All right, I said, B-Mac, how, what are you running a 4-4? Four, four? Why is this guy running a 4-8 faster than you going down the field? Has, <laughs> has, has, is there some hesitation there? There better not be any hesitation. <laughs> me and Larry Foot would be in the back wall. Me and Larry Foot would be like, B-Mac, how did you do a special team? I'm like, man, and I hope I did okay. So, all right, man, you don't be playing around on special team. You know, you know how Coach Kyle is on special team. That, I'll put that red dot on you. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. And, and uh, I had, during the Super Bowl, uh, I had Jerome Bennett on this show. And he just was, you know, we were just talking about that 05 team. And he's talking about his time in Pittsburgh, primarily with you. And you mentioned, you hit on the culture that you established. Some organizations, they don't know how to establish the culture. And, and for you going to Pittsburgh, how did you come about establishing that culture? And who did you circle to be the leaders of the pack that were not coaches to be able to make sure the guys fulfill uh, that requirement? You know, and, and, and honestly, being Mac, that, that's an ever-evolving situation. Like, we, we didn't get Jerome until 96. And the first mm -hmm. few years, you had guys like Greg Lloyd and Rod Whitson. And, you know, you, you identify very quickly who the guys are that have the impact and they're the influencers in the locker room. Because I've been in that mm -hmm. locker room before, and you can kind of know that there's a certain group of guys that are that way. And then you think about the history of the Pittsburgh Steelers and the four Super Bowls. And even though when we got there, they had, were not having a lot of great success, there was a great foundation, a great history there. And, you know, and so it, that was something that we just tried to build off of each and every year kind of be identified by who we were playing tough defense, running the football and then letting it evolve from there. And, you know, the one thing our viewers need to know is I, 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 I got to say this about you is in that 2005 run we had one of the biggest games, most exciting games we had was against the Indianapolis Colts. And we had the game one, Jerome fumbles the ball. They pick it up, run the ball back. And ben makes one of the best plays in the whole playoffs by tackling Harper and all of a sudden, now Peyton Manning's got another chance. You make a big, big play in the end zone, I believe, against Marvin Harrison and uh, knock Reggie. the ball down. Who, who was it? Reggie Wayne. Reggie Wayne. Reggie Wayne. Yep. It was Reggie Wayne. Okay, so I wasn't sure. Which, it was Reggie Wayne, but you made a play in the end zone. I will always remember that. One of the biggest plays, which then I think was third down, which forced them then to kick the ball on fourth down, which they missed the field goal. Mm -hmm. So uh, there was a play before, which I just think that was you, Brian McFadden, making a play in the end zone. An integral part of that run, if you don't make that play, that, that game stops right there. And so uh, that, that run stops right there. So um, it's, it, it's little things like that. And everyone who has a role in it, you guys never panicked. And so, you know, they, it was that kind of thing that I just enjoyed my years. You know, I, I had three daughters at home. 
But I also looked at it like I had 53 boys at work. And you guys are like a family to me. And like I said, you know, we help people coddle. We pushed you and made you uncomfortable at times, but only to get the very best out of you. Kind of the same thing a parent does to his own kid. Uh, no doubt, no doubt. And, and talking about, you know, that team and talking about Big Ben, what in the 04 draft, you know, is when you drafted Big Ben in the first round. And obviously when you draft a quarterback in the first round, you have high hopes uh, for that said quarterback. But what were your realistic expectations for Big Ben? Out of a mid-major school, picking him, I think, 11th overall. Yeah, we, we, we got Ben, and he was there, and we picked him up. I, I thought this is a perfect situation. We have Tommy Maddox, who I thought would be a great bridge between Tommy to, to, to Ben. Charlie Batch mm-hmm. was backing up, so we had the two backups right there. So Ben could be the third quarterback um, in a, in a best-case scenario, and at the same time, kind of get a feel for what we were trying to do. Well, you know. All of a sudden, Charlie Bash gets hurt in the preseason, like the third preseason game, but he'll be able to be back by the fourth game. Okay, well, fine. In the meantime, let's get a package of plays. We'll let Ben back up Tommy Maddox. Tommy can make at least the first three or four games. Well, the second game we go in there, Tommy gets knocked out by uh, Bart Scott of the Baltimore Ravens. Ben comes in right now and almost starts to lead us back because a couple of the things that he did was he able he was still comfortable running a no huddle. And so... He starts to bring us back, and all of a sudden, you know, he throws a pick six to, to McAllister, which was fine because it was a miscommunication. Um, but I remember we down it back because this is our quarterback. We have nobody else healthy right now. So the next week, we went down to Miami and in the storm. And yeah. that, from that time on, we kind of dialed it back and let it to, to do the things that he was comfortable doing. And when you saw Ben, you see him working out. But when you get him in practice, you didn't realize he was as big as he was. He was as athletic mm-hmm. as he was. And his arm wasn't as strong as it was. Like, wow, this guy's good. And he could see the field. He felt very comfortable at times when plays broke down to get out of the pocket. And he could see the field probably as well as anyone that I've ever been around. Like, wow, he's making a lot of plays on improvisation. Like, you know, we really haven't had a guy like that since Cordell Stewart. And this guy now is very, very accurate. And so you just saw the more that you gave him, it was never too big for him. And we kind of brought him along slowly. I mean, obviously, he won his, like, first 15 games, I think he was, when he started. And so um, you could just tell from there he would have a great career. And and talking about his great career the following year, we were, we were able to do what some people felt was the unthinkable and being able to get to Detroit and win a championship. But, Coach, personally, for you being hands-on with the team, seeing us from the beginning to the end, at what point during the 2005 season did you feel like we were a legitimate Super Bowl contender? I thought we were from the very beginning. And I think we went through a three-game stretch right there in the middle. If you remember those three losses, the last one being to the Cincinnati Bengals at home. I remember mm-hmm. bringing you guys in there. We still always had those goal boards. I said, you know what? I'm tired of looking goal boards. And I want each one of you guys to grade yourself based on effort, based on execution, and based on your assignment. And I remember pulling guys in like, okay, they thought they, I look at their grades. No, 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 no. We're, we're clearly not on the same page. So I want everyone to look in the mirror don't look around as to why we're all of a sudden we're going through this three-game uh, losing streak. And you know what? There's only one game we're going to play. We're going to have a one-game season. There's only one game that was yep. on that court, the Chicago Bears. Because we, we don't win that, we're done. Okay? The next mm-hmm. game is Minnesota Vikings. If we don't win that game, we're done. So yep. we just kept thinking of one game at a time. And I felt like we almost had an edge to us right now. It's like because everyone kind of counted us out. Remember, we were talking about going into the playoffs. I remember telling you guys about the Christopher Columbus story. <laughs> that, mm-hmm. you know – don't let history dictate your future, but let your future make history. And 
you know, it was one of those points like saying, listen, don't let other people tell us what we can't do. Oh, no six seed's ever gone to a Super Bowl. I don't care what they say that we've never done. You know, we no one's ever won their last four games to get into the playoffs. And what makes you think we can't win on the road? And so with every game, as you know, I always try to make every game personal. And it was really nice that we had our first game against the Bengals with TJ Hushmanzada. Only thing I showed you the night before the game was uh-huh. him white wiping his uh, his foot with the towel. I yeah. said, I need to say no more. <laughs> Remember, right? Yeah. I said, Coach, Coach, that was one of the best. One thing I tell people all the time about DC, he's the ultimate motivator. And I think great coaches have to, have to have the ability to motivate verbally. You know what I mean? And your yes. pregame yes. speech were always on point. But that pregame speech, the night in Cincinnati, when you showed that clip of him disrespecting the terrible towel, and I think you had everyone, you had him cut off the lights, and he listened to that Phil Collins. And we were just meditating. And in, in the entire room, you can just feel the intensity in that room. For me, that was the moment I felt like, yo, it's a wrap. Because we, we knew we were the better team. Yeah. We just got, we were in a slump yeah. in the season. It happens. You know what I mean? We knew we were the better team. But when you did that, Coach, that was one of the best pregame speeches I've ever, ever been a part of. And you remember the next week, we went and had to go against the Indianapolis Colts, who embarrassed us on Monday Night Football early in the season. So it was like a revenge tour. Mm-hmm. And then and then we go to Denver and yep, to make it yep. personal. Joe Joey says, I got shot in Denver. I go, my gosh. That's <laughs> all we need. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it was and, and the crazy part about that first Monday night in Indy in the RCA dome. Yeah, they embarrassed because we had a horrible game. But you stood in the locker room and you gathered the troops. You said, Don't worry, we will come right back in the same locker room and we'll be back here. Yeah. <laughs> we'll be back here. And, and we didn't doubt we we all believe. And man, that, that Super Bowl run was that playoff run was just a thing of beauty. I was disappointed the season ended because I felt like we couldn't lose. I know, I know, I know. It, yeah. It's like it was really even the the week of the game against Seattle. There's just a feeling we had like it was it was the same routine we were in, the same mm-hmm. build up to each week. We made it all personal. You know, like it was like okay, take, you know, this, that's why I said we're we're road teams, man. We're road warriors right now. No yeah. one's given us a chance. Even though we might have been favored, I said, no, I kept telling you, we're not favored. We're the underdogs. Just remember we're that. Underdogs. No one thinks we you can do that road. No question. <laughs> no question. And, and talking about the 05 team, clearly was a great team. We won a championship. But was the 2005 team even the best team you coached? You know, I, I, I've, I've answered that, BMAC. I, I don't know. They were also pretty special. 97 team. Was, I, 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 I say that only from the standpoint. That was Cordell's first year as a starter. We did some really, really special things with him. And we lost to the Denver Broncos in the AFC Championship game at home. But, you know, that was just, it just seemed like that team defensively and offensively just had a lot of things going on. It may not show up statistically. But, you know, I remember all the 2001 was a really good team. We lost to the New England Patriots then. And, um, you know, on a block field or return uh, punt for a touchdown, a block field goal for a touchdown. Um, You know, so. You know, again, and then, then 2004 was a really good team. I mean, and you know, Ben had that interception at the end of the first half to Rodney Harrison. And after that, we still all came back, and it was his rookie year. So, you know, that, you know the four and five was like those, those teams, we kind of picked up. We had a little bit of a setback in the middle of that 505 season, but I just felt like those two teams were very much mirror images of each other with a quarterback a little bit more experienced the next year. So, um, it was, uh, I, there were some really good teams. The 94 team was a good team. And 95 was, we had, I mean, I had two of the better li- outside linebackers that we had. Yeah. 
Kev, Kevin Green, the late Kevin Green, God bless him. And Greg Lloyd, Greg Lloyd will be out there in his T-shirt before game. It says, I wasn't hired for my dis- disposition. And I said, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when he when he spoke in, in the locker room, it was like, yeah, I thought everybody listened to him. So it was, yeah. um, it was uh, it, you know, Rod Whitson, what a special player he has been. Like, like you talk about all the players and just, just he was like a coach on the field. Carnell Lake, the same. And mm-hmm. again, you go down the line, it's just um, – I, it's hard to put a favor to anything. Like I said, my 15 years, I had some special guys. And we go in Canada, there'll be a lot of those guys come back. It'll be, it'll be a really, no really question. nice reunion Saturday night. Coach, personal question for you. Um, during your time there in Pittsburgh, being a defensive-minded guy, you guys always seem to hit the ideal player for an outside for that outside linebacker role. Either you draft them or you acquire them via free agency. And you talked about Lloyd, Gildon, Porter, uh, Harrison. I mean – Kevin Green, the who's of who? Yeah. How, how? What was the deciding factor on this guy fits the the model for what we look for at the outside linebacker position, which was important for us playing that three four team. We had to pass some dogs that could play right. the outside linebacker position. But all those guys you mentioned had the same mindset, and they went about attacking the game the same way. What were you What were you targeting in those players? Well, those are guys, are special guys. I remember getting Mike Brable as a great example of who's a head coach today. But Mike was a down mm-hmm. lineman. At Ohio State, they're trying to stand him up as an outside linebacker. The same thing that we had done with Chad Brown. We've done that with Jason Gilden. These were guys that they really had to learn to play from a two-point stance. They were used to be in a three-point stance. But the one thing that they could do is they could rush the quarterback. And they were athletic enough to play in coverage. And so the one thing that the 34 defense gives you, Big Mac, it gives you a little bit of a lot of flexibility and given a lot of different people can come and rush at different places and a lot of the, the, the zone blitzes that we used to run is because we had athletes playing either defensive end in the, in the, in the sub package or playing outside linebacker in the 34 so it's the athlete you were looking for and ideally they could come to our system and sit behind a guy and watch for a year and you don't have to thrust them in there right away because all the idiosyncrasies that we had with our defenses. And so that was ideally what we try to do with a lot of those guys. And for the most part, it worked out pretty good. Oh, no question. It worked out extremely good. I, I can say that. <laughs> but, uh, it worked out extremely good. So, Coach, you've been in broadcasting nearly as long as you were a head coach. And your name in past tense has popped up in coaching rumors. You know what I mean? That coaching uh, life. Yeah. Coach John Gruden made the return back to the sidelines. Uh, nearly after a decade of being in the booth. Would you ever consider coming back to the game? I know you enjoy your time with CBS and they love you dearly as well, but would you ever consider going back to the sideline at this point in your life? I, I don't think so, BMAC. I mean, I, I love the game to, to whatever extent that will be, whether it be with CBS, which I love the platform. I love the guys I work with. Um, I really enjoy doing it. It's live TV. There's always something challenging about live TV. Um, and so I really enjoy that part of it. But I had so much respect for the game. But to go back to it, I think the one thing that I realized when I did step down, as I said before, I stepped down for family, is you have to be all in. And, and, and when the game is today and the, the offseason that's there, if you want to be really good at it, you have to really throw your heart and soul into it. And it takes a special partner that can understand that. And my wife would certainly be that special partner. But at the same time, I really do like the personal life that I have right now, the ability to have an offseason where I can now spend time with my five grandchildren, do some traveling that I've always wanted to do. And so I've experienced more balance in my life than I ever did before when I was coaching. I don't think that's something I'd want to give up. And some of the past experiences with head coaching vacancies with some organizations, did you ever really consider some of the opportunities that were presented to you? Like, man, I really might consider this. You know what I mean? Did, did any team kind of, well, you know, raise your eyebrow to say the least? I was, I was, I've been, I've had opportunities to come back multiple times, but 
you know, it, it never got down to, to like me even negotiating a contract because I just, mm-hmm. to me, it was about the quality of life that you want. And like mm-hmm. I said before, I, I, if I'm going to go somewhere and change a culture, I got to be there. I got to be the first one and the last one to leave. And not that I'm afraid to do that, but is that where I am in my life right now to want to do that? And, mm-hmm. you know, my wife stepped down at the time. My late wife stepped down. I wasn't in a great place. My new wife is in music. She's got her own personal career as well. And I kind of have enjoyed that balance. And as I've talked with her through it, you know, wherever every time we come down to it, it just came down to the quality of life that you have. And I've been so blessed, again, to have this platform at CBS, but also have the flexibility and balance in my life that I would not be able to have if I went back to coaching. No doubt, no doubt. Well, we enjoy seeing you on Sunday. I know I do. You know, you drop those gems. <laughs> and, those. and sometimes, Coach, I can tell when you really get fired up because that passion comes out. And, you know, you can't oh, hide I, it. I'm like, okay, he's fired and up I, and this I, and I and I do love the game. There are times I sit there, I love strategizing. You know how much I love to, to, to put blitzes in and understand you get one more defender. And I love coaching and um, love the camaraderie with players, with coaches and, and game day, just even training camp. It's just all of a sudden now we're all in a bubble right now when you do things. And then I've kind of prioritized my personal life. But you're right. On Sundays, football season comes up. I'm getting fired up right now just thinking about it. But first of all, let's do this thing in Canton. You make sure you come there, bring all your guys, and we'll have a little rendezvous right there on Saturday night. No question. We're going to have a great time with Ontario Battelle. Man, we're going to we're going to take over for Canton. We're going to take over Canton. Yeah. Talking about coaching, Coach Mike Tomlin has entered his 15 years with the Steelers. Uh, he's been extremely consistent during his tenure there. How long can you see Mike Tomlin uh, being the head guy in charge there? Well, I think as you know, as long as Mike wants to be there. I mean, I think the one thing that I've seen with Mike is he's so genuine in everything that he does. He's a you know he's a players coach from the standpoint of I don't use that negative. I hate when people say players coach it means you're soft. He's not that at all. But he's a guy that he can inspire the guys that he has played with. His record speaks for it. his consistency that he has he has produced year in year out. I hope he's there for a long time as long as he's happy being there. You know, it's again it's a, it's a demanding job. Pittsburgh's a small town. Um, you know, sometimes it's you're probably appreciated more so outside your city than you are inside your city. And I think people from the outside realize how good a football coach Mike Tomlin is. And I think on the inside, you see how hopefully they can they can take this year. But boy, the AFC North are, has, has really become a very competitive division right now with Mark Jackson, Baker Mayfield, yeah, uh, Joe, Joe Burrow, Burrow, three high, three Heisman Trophy quarterbacks and a Hall of Fame quarterback. So um, yes. it'll be an interesting year this year, and hopefully they'll they'll, they'll be able to come back and uh, and we'll see how that unfolds. But uh, there's no question, and Mike will be there as long as he wants to be there, and he'll be the first one to know when it's time to walk away. And talking about head coaches, how was it, you know, seeing one of your former assistants and Bruce Arians, you know, be able to uh, uh, hoist up that sticky Lombardi this past February? Always special. I mean, I'm so happy for BA because we go all the way back to coaching together with the Kansas City Chiefs. When I was there with Marty, he was coaching running backs. I was a defensive coordinator in coaching linebackers. So we go we go way back and it brought him into Pittsburgh, as you know, and wanted he won two championships there. So, you know, he's just a good football coach. He's great with the players. He resonates with those guys. And uh, it's hard not to respect him. He pushes people. He holds people accountable. Not afraid mm-hmm. to call anybody out. And, no. you know, but the players, they, they, they know that about him. So, you know, if you know what you're getting, there's no, there's no BS behind it. Players adapt. They, they don't mind it. Be held accountable. So um, I'm happy for him. And, uh, and you know, it was just a great run for him last year. Coach, you know, of course, it's, I'm a DB, Pat P, a DB. We love talking DBs on this show. And you said Rob Wilson is the best player you've ever coached. Why is that? 
Well, just because of him. I mean, Troy was there, but I only had Troy for those three years. And, and Troy, like, you know, the one thing about those guys, B-Mac, when I used to come in to the office in the morning, they're already in there looking at film. I mean, they were already in there looking at video and coming up to me about, you know, I think if we do this or we do that, if they get into a certain split, I know what he's going to run. Is there any way I can make a call where I can have the ability to jump something and get the safety over the top? And so we have to be talking about, okay, well, we can, you know, you listen to players like that. Like, okay, wow, okay, let's just talk about how we can, you know, incorporate some of these things that you'd like to be able to do. And I don't even go back. I go back to the corners I had. I was so blessed. When I was in Cleveland, I went to defensive backs. They had Frank Minifield and Hanford Dixon, and Mark Harper was our nickel back, as good as you can find. I go to Kansas City, I have Albert Lewis, I have Kevin Ross, and J.C. Pearson's my nickel back, as good as you're going to have secondary-wise. And then, obviously, mm-hmm. come to Pittsburgh, we had Carnell Lake, Rod Woodson, and Dave, and, and Dave Johnson. And then from there, it's just been one good set of defensive backs after another. So, um, listen, I, I to me, the most fun I ever had coaching, truth be told, was my two years coaching the defensive backs in Cleveland. Um, it's just something about being out there on the island. There's just something about the one-on-one elements of it, playing bump and run, playing off coverage, knowing where your help is, understanding splits, under having peripheral vision and knowing who you're supposed to key, the discipline it takes to play out there, the athleticism it takes to play out there, and the self-confidence and be able to not lose your confidence when you get beat. Because it's so easy to start to back up a little bit more because I don't want to get beat deep, but you got to continue mm-hmm. to challenge people. So, again, I think it's one of the hardest positions in the National Football League to play because you're the most exposed. You know, when you know when you get beat inside a lineman, no one really sees it. You get beat outside, everybody sees it. So everybody you, better be able to, you, you better be resilient enough to not let it get knock you down and just get back up and go back at it and don't lose your sense of confidence. So, um, yeah. I just, you know, I love the secondary yourself. Great corner, Patrick Peterson, one of the all-time great corners in the National Football League because he wasn't afraid to take chances. And yeah. you know, at the same time, he, he he did it probably with a great degree of preparation, which is why you let great players who prepare, you give them the ability to do what they want to do on the field. You don't try to harness them. Yeah. Last question for you before we transition to the superlative part of our show, Coach. Do you have any funny amazing Troy Palomalu stories. I have quite a few of them with Troy just doing his Troy-isms during the course of a ball game. But I know for you as a head coach and being on the sideline, and let's say Coach LeBeau calls, you know, red zone cover four or something like that, you see Troy around the center. You're like, what's going on? I got a bunch of them. I'll just leave you with this one. He, We were playing against the the, the San Diego Chargers, and LaDainian Thomason catches a wide pass. We were in a fire zone, and for whatever reason, Troy locked down on the tight end. James Ferry came to the tight end. No one covered LaDainian Tomlinson. He caught it, went in for a touchdown. We come to the sideline. I'm just trying to make sure we got our kickoff return team. Okay, let's talk about this. I go over to talk to Troy. He's on the bench, and Chris Hope says, Coach, not right now. I go, what do you mean right now, right now? He goes, Troy's praying. I go, Troy's praying. I go, well, how long is it going to be? He goes, it could be a while. The guy said, this could be like, a, well, God, I just want to talk to him about that last one to make sure that we got this straight because I want to make sure we make the same mistake. I will come and get you. And I said, oh, well, let me know when he's ready, when he's done praying so I can talk to him. And so so we go back and Troy has said this. And he goes, he looked up, he looked up at Chris. He goes, did coach leave yet? Did coach leave yet? So he was afraid. He, he was just using that. And Chris goes, yeah, he left. I think you're good. So, so, so. Troy, Troy was a special guy. 
again, another guy, when he made a mistake, I wanted to talk to him because are we doing too much? I mean, because I didn't want him to start having to be thinking too much. I want mm-hmm. him just to play. And so those are the kind of things you have. But when you have great players, it's like when you see them, you listen to them, you, you, you hear what they have to say, and you adapt and adjust to that to make sure that you put them in positions where they can impact games. And wow, did he impact games. No question. No question. That's a good thing about your entire staff that you had at Pittsburgh. You gave you guys gave us the free range to be able to be football players. You know yeah. what I mean? As long yeah. as we're all on the same page together and it, we're playing the same thing, you allow us to be football players and it worked out right. more than right. it did. So now, Coach, we're going to transition to the further part of the show. I hit you with a few rapid fire questions, a few rapid fire questions. Want your unbiased, yeah. honest answer. I know you can handle pressure. You've done it throughout your entire football career. All right, first question for you. Since you've been retired from coaching for a while, who has the meanest look in football? Meanest look in football? Wow. Um, I would say Mike Zimmer looks pretty mad when he gets mean, and so does John <laughs> Gruden when I look at coaches. I think, it's between, I think it's between Zimmer and Gruden. I would pick one from each side of the ball. Okay, I think I'd take Gruden. But, yeah, I, uh, Zimmer, he gets a little red. He tell he's fired oh, up. He's, and Gruden has yeah, that, that, yeah. that, that chink comes out like Chucky. <laughs> yeah. All right. Next question for you. Biggest lesson you learned from Coach Marty Schottenheimer? Preparation is everything. Leave no stone unturned. Mm-hmm. And to try to make practices harder than games. So when the games come, that's the easy part. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Uh, top three toughest guys you've coached in a Steelers uniform? Toughest guys I've coached? In the Steelers I would say uniform. the toughest. I would say the most challenging guys I've coached. Okay, that's good. At times, uh, I would say Barry Foster was one of them. Barry was just such a talented guy. Mm -hmm. Um, I would say, uh, I would say, I mean, in in, in his own way, um, I'd probably say, James Harrison in his own little way, but 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 mm-hmm. kind of liked the I like kind of liked the way he was. I mean, it was like mm-hmm. it wasn't challenging, but he was just like he would just stop sometimes in the middle of practice. It used to drive me crazy, and like like he just <laughs> he made a mistake. Um, and so, who would be the third one? Uh, maybe maybe Plexico Burris, just because I Plex I had so much high expect. You know, I. I Used to challenge him with catching the high ball, deep ball, high pointing things. And he mm-hmm. first came in, he, he's kind of always just seemed like he was always want to be a minute late or 30 seconds late. So mm-hmm. those guys, but you know what? I, I wouldn't say they're the hardest, maybe the most challenging, but you know what? That's that's part of being a coach, it's part of being a parent and trying to get the best out of people. Yeah, no doubt. Last question for you. Most memorable game you coached that wasn't a Super Bowl. Uh, I I think it's the Indianapolis Colts game. That was a 2005 game. That that, that game, the ebb and flow yeah. that took place in that game was was unbelievable. And you know, I mean, I, I can go back to the championship games that we lost. Um, truthfully, you know, the '94 championship game against the San Diego Chargers, we're three yards away, and mm-hmm. <laughs> the '95 we're in the same end zone. Now we're on defense, and you know we. Randy Fuller knocks his ball down. If he doesn't knock that ball down, and there's no instant replay anymore, so we don't go to the Super Bowl. So it, you know, there's a lot of games, but I would say that yeah, that playoff game because that was such an instrumental part, and, and to see Jerome not to have that be his last game that he could have gone out on, and 
And obviously, like even the play that you made within that, which, you know, and the manager Jack missing that kick, it was, um, and being and being Peyton, a Peyton man, being Peyton man in a, in a playoff game, that's a great accomplishment in itself. I think that Indianapolis coach team was one of the best teams that Peyton was a, a no question. Part of that didn't win a championship. They were 13 and three, number one in the AFC, if I'm not mistaken. Hall of Fame, the Hall of Fame on the offense. Yeah, totally. And their defense yeah. is pretty good too. <laughs> no, yes, yes. The White Freeney, Robert Mathers, Bob Sanders, yeah. you know, yeah. Dean yeah. Brackett. They had some studs. They had some studs, but we owe them one. We owe them that. We got to do it too. Hey, but coach, man, listen, man, an outstanding conversation with you. I uh, thank you for joining us here. Patrick Peterson brought me back all things covered. Make sure you guys go support Coach Kyron, his book. Heart and Steel is out right now. It's available everywhere. If your audio book, if you want the hard copy, go out and support my guy, man. He's an unbelievable individual. Soon to be Hall of Fame in the National Football League, Hall of Fame in Canton, Ohio. Coach, man, it's a pleasure joining us here. Can't wait to see you in Ohio. We can't wait to see you on CBS on Sundays. Get ready for the season. Thanks, D-Mac. Take care, brother, and I'll see you in Canton. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.